Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Signed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I said that's so cool. This is Soundtrack Your Life. I'm Ryan Pack, and this is a podcast where I talk to a guest about a soundtrack that they have a connection to. Today, I'll be talking to Austin, one of the hosts of I Hate Your Taste in Movies podcast, which you can find on all podcast services. Austin, why don't you share a little bit about I Hate Your Taste in Movies? Sure. Thanks for having me. I Hate Your Taste in Movies is a podcast where myself and two of my friends, we have very different tastes in movies. Um, And we basically force each other to watch some of our favorites every week. One of our hosts, Jen, she's a really big horror fan. Our host, Jackie, is a really big action movie fan. And I really like musicals and kind of everything in between. So we kind of just put our friendship to the test every week. That's great. Today, we're going to be discussing the 1982 John Huston film, Annie. So, Austin, why are we talking about Annie? I thought it would be a great movie to talk about. I think it's one of my favorite childhood movies. I watched it a lot. Um, I had it on VHS, watched it so much, and it had a bigger impact on me, I think, than I originally thought. I think this is probably one of the first movies to pique my interest in musical theater before I even realized that it was doing that or that that was a thing that existed. So yeah, I just I just really like it. I played the musical in high school as well. So that was another fun opportunity. And then as an adult, I've also just developed a love of Carol Burnett and Bernadette Peters and Tim Curry. And so you put them all in a movie together as the villains, and I am on board. So just as an adult, I have a huge appreciation for this movie uh, and still love it. Yeah, and it's a movie that's been remade a bunch of times. It started off as a comic strip and then as a musical, which I didn't know beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. I've never actually read the comic strip, but I did learn that apparently the comic strip only went out of print in 2010, I think, which I didn't realize was so recent. Yeah. I've never seen the comic strip and I remember going through, you know, the Sunday paper every, every week to look at the comics, but yeah, it's been around forever. And then it was turned into a musical by Charles Strauss or Strauss. Strauss. Yep. And he's been he's been everywhere. Like he I didn't know that he also wrote Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah, he's definitely one of he's a very prominent um, American songwriter. And I feel like most people probably know his music without realizing they know his music. He also uh, wrote the theme song for All in the Family. So um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard that and not realize that it's him. Right. And if you don't know the theme to All in the Family, uh, you've probably heard it or you've probably seen at least the homage to it at the beginning of Family Guy uh, the, because when Peter and Lois are sitting at the piano singing, that's that's uh, basically copying the All in the Family intro as well. Oh, that makes sense. I haven't, I'm not a big Family Guy fan, but that's, that, that's funny. That makes sense. Uh, the Simpsons are also big fans of All in the Family. I asked uh, Stephen Sklonsky of the Simpsons Did It podcast. Okay. Um, how many times All in the Family has been referenced by The Simpsons. Oh, geez. And we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven references to just All in the Family. 
There was a episode where at the beginning, um, Marge and Homer at the piano, and they're singing a variation of These Are the Days, or These Were the Days, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are. <laughs> so the Simpsons were uh, big fans of All in the Family, and I would say that Those Were the Days is probably one of the most famous TV sitcom intro songs. Definitely, even though I haven't, I've only seen a few episodes of All in the Family, but I can picture the theme song instantly. So definitely iconic. Especially with uh, Ethel's voice. (laughs) Uh, But obviously he's probably best known for Annie and the songs that he wrote for that. I guess for the musical first and then for the movie. Two of those songs I believe are everywhere. (laughs) Like if you've never seen Annie, you know at least uh, two of the songs and if you go through Charles Strauss's like IMDB it's like oh his music has been used 192 times and majority of the times it's one of two songs <laughs> so I'm guessing that's Tomorrow and Hard Knock Life that would be correct excellent they're classics I, this musical has some bangers in it I, I will defend I will defend the music of Annie I have not seen Annie in a really long time, but mm-hmm. those are the two songs that that I immediately go to with this musical. A lot of the other stuff, like sometimes I for, sometimes I forget that this musical has more than two songs. I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot, and the movie is interesting too because they swapped out a lot of songs from the original show, and then they added, I think. Uh, four or five new songs for the movie still composed by Charles Strauss and uh, let me just double check his name Martin Sharnan I believe was the lyricist so yeah when I when I played the show in high I played percussion for it um, when I was in high school and I remember being really disappointed that a lot of the songs that I loved from the movie when I was a kid aren't actually in the stage show so that was a bit of a wake-up call like oh they made changes but I, I I still like them so out of the two, I, I guess we'll call them the original musical versions of Annie. Which one do you prefer? Like the movie or the stage show? Yeah. I Well, I'm partial to the movie. I'm partial to the movie. Grew up loving it. So it's got a special spot in my heart. But I do like the show. There's some. There's one song in particular, which we can like get to later when we come to the point where it would normally be in the movie. But uh, there's a song called NYC. Uh, that's so good. There's no room for it in the movie, but it's um, just it's a lot of fun. And there's more like political commentary and stuff as well in the stage production. But I think I think the movie's it's underrated. Yeah, I didn't realize how much hate the movie got when it first came out. Me neither. It was nominated for four Golden Raspberry Awards. <laughs> Worst picture, worst director, worst screenplay, and worst new star. And that's pretty harsh to do that to a kid. Exactly. It seems really harsh in general. I, I, I know that I, I like. I'm not objective with this movie at all. So I'm, I know that I give it a lot of benefit of the doubt there, where maybe I shouldn't. But I, I don't understand what makes it that terrible. Truly. My experiences with the movie are through a very uncritical lens. You know, mm-hmm. it's. It was at a time where I wasn't worried about or wasn't, you know, I guess interested in like, you know, who's directing and and who's writing the music. You know, I I enjoy the movie for what it is, just, you know, a, a fun kind of campy musical film. Um, yeah. 
And then obviously, like, it is really hard to get tomorrow and hard knock life and easy street out of your head once once you hear them. Yeah. And I think also when this movie came out in 82, so the show, I think, premiered in 1977, and it was huge. It was massive. It was massively successful. Um, There's a whole generation of girls who grew up idolizing Andrea McArdle, who was the original Annie, and like it was it was massive so this came at a time when it was definitely there's maybe a lot of expectations on it i guess and then for them to make so many changes and i have heard it say or i've heard people say that it was very overproduced i don't really know what they would mean by that but i know they made a lot of changes at the last minute they did a lot of reshoots so i don't know i don't know what was going on with it but like it was an it was a very what am i trying to say it was very famous at the time, very a massive hit at the time. So I can see people being disappointed with it, that it wasn't a strict adaptation. I like that Roger Ebert gave it three stars, but said that it is not about anything, but I sort of enjoyed the movie. <laughs> I feel like that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> I guess, but I feel like that's how a lot of musicals are. Like, there's not a ton of story because you've got to fit in all these songs. Yeah. You're, you're right. It, it can totally depend on how much emphasis is put on the song and dance numbers. And then that doesn't always translate as well to movies. And I think this movie in particular padded that a lot with the whole um, the whole plot where Miss um, Hannigan and Rooster and Lily kidnap Annie. And then there's like a chase scene where Rooster's chasing her up the bridge that's raised and then like Punjab has to rescue her from the helicopter like obviously none of that is in the show so I think this movie did a lot of padding to kind of stretch some things out this movie is also two hours long which seems ridiculous I don't know how it's that long but yeah they they made some interesting changes that I wouldn't say it's about nothing but there's some things that could definitely have been taken out yeah, it's a pretty stacked cast, and I found it very odd that John Huston directed this film. Mm-hmm. Like I said, one of those details that you know you don't think about as a kid when you're watching a movie, like who directed this, and what else has have they done? Yeah, I mean, this is what I associate with him now. Like, I'm not super well versed in John Huston, to be honest, which is probably embarrassing because I know he's very prolific. But to me, he directed Annie. I kind of see him as more of a dramatic director, you know. All the way from Maltese Falcon and um, Red Badge of Courage, which is a book I read in high school, Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll admit I probably have only seen John Huston films because I went to film school. Right. But, you know, he's kind of known for kind of being more of a big dramatic director and also the father of Angelica. Oh, of course, yes. But like his his Wikipedia picture is like him in a cowboy hat with like a cigar. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't look like the type that would be directing Annie. And he's also been married five times. All right. No, no judgment, but <laughs> it, it's there on the Wikipedia page. So this is like very late in his career. Like he's Maltese Falcon um, was in 1941. Annie was in 1982. So this is mm-hmm. 40 years into his directorial career. So, you know, a very, very strange left turn at the end of a career. (laughs) 
Yeah. And and you say stacked cast. It it really is. And again, like I mentioned at the beginning, I don't think I really appreciated the cast until I was an adult and kind of came to all of these uh, actors separately outside of this movie. I am obsessed with Carol Burnett. I love the Carol Burnett show. It's like it's comfort food. Um, Bernadette Peters is an icon. I <laughs> I love her so much. I saw her in Hello Dolly a couple of years ago. I've seen her perform several times live. I've met her. It was amazing. And obviously, like Tim Curry is Tim Curry. He's incredible. And also Anne Ryan King, who plays Grace Farrell. She's an amazing dancer. And she's another one that I've kind of come to later in life that uh, I don't know if you're too familiar with her, but she's basically... What am I trying to say? She was with Bob Fosse for many years. She's like iconic when it comes to Bob Fosse and Fosse musicals. And I watched all that jazz recently for the first time and she's just incredible. So um, again, to see it as an adult and be like, oh my gosh, like I knew I loved this movie for a reason when I was a kid. Yeah. And if you love musicals, you can't say that. I mean, you have to love Bernadette Peters as well. She's she's a national treasure. <laughs> yeah. She's a musical icon, Broadway yeah. icon. Absolutely. And like Easy Street in this movie, you mentioned it being a catchy song. And I know that they originally filmed a big production number of it where they were running around outside in the street. They set like, you know, they spent millions of dollars to create this like this outdoor street scene with all the street vendors. And there's like a big dance number and they filmed it all and realized that it would have been much more effective as just a very intimate scene with just the three of them. And so they scrapped it. Uh, and I think they made the right call. Like it's, I love that scene where it's just the three of them in the orphanage. They've just plotted um, how to, how to get um, Oliver Warbucks's money, how to get Annie back. And it's just, it's so great. I notice new things about that scene every time. I, it's embarrassing actually how often I go back and watch easy street just on YouTube. It's like, it's yeah, it's just so fun. I love every choice about it. Um, but I do wish I got to see the original um, large scale musical production number that they had filmed. I would have loved to see Annie before it became a film. And mm -hmm. just to see how how it was on Broadway, like for me, it's hard to distance now the musical from the movie. Yeah, because I saw the movie first. Yeah, I mean, I did too. And I only, I actually don't know the show super well. Like I said, I played it in high school. Um, but that was kind of my first exposure to it. And I, I listen to the soundtrack periodically, but it's not high on my list of musicals that I, I know really well. Um, or, you know, have yeah, know really well or listen to a lot. But um, it's, it's mostly this. Have, have you seen the uh, 1999 movie with Kathy Bates? No, I didn't even know that existed until we started. I started researching for the show. <laughs> gotcha, because it's slightly more uh, of a faithful adaptation. Still, obviously, takes some changes, but in terms of the storyline, it's a little bit more um, of a faithful adaptation from the show. the The major changes that the 1982 version put in is they included the characters of uh, Punjab and the Asp, and those were comic book character. Or they were in the comic strip, and they were taken out. Um, of the show to give some sense of, or to take away the fantastical elements. And I would say that's probably this movie's greatest 
flaw <laughs> is the way those two characters are portrayed, like slightly racial and racially insensitive and probably hasn't aged super well. Um, but I understand that they were trying to go back to the comic strips. I completely missed the 1999 version, and I know very little about the 2014 version, which apparently did a lot better than the 1982 version did at the box office, which is strange. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Just kind of looking at some of the credits, and apparently the music was done by Greg Kirsten and Sia. Okay. Like, I knew Jamie Foxx was in it as Daddy Warbucks. Yeah. Um, And so... So Daddy Warbucks from the 1982 version is played by Albert Finney. I guess I didn't really know who Albert Finney was until like the 2000s with like Aaron Brockovich and Big Fish. Oh, yes. Yep. For our Christmas episode, we did um, the 1970 version of Scrooge, which is also a musical. Mm -hmm. And that that starred Albert Finney. And I was like, oh, he can sing. (laughs) <laughs> and then I realized he's also Daddy Warbucks and Annie. So it's like, oh, like he definitely has this theater side to him that I never really thought about because I only know of him as like the dad from Big Fish. Right. And just kind of this like grumpy old man. <laughs> I mean, I guess that works for uh, Oliver Warbucks, grumpy old man. Yeah, but not a, but he's a singing grumpy old man. <laughs> singing and tap dancing and Yeah. And I think that's kind of what got my gears turning about like what else Charles Strauss did um, because Scrooge has a bunch of songs or the guy who wrote all the songs for Scrooge um, also did like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Sorry. Right. Or is it Willy Wonka? Is the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I, I always get the two mixed up. Say, I literally was asking uh, my co-host Jen about that yesterday. I couldn't remember which one was which. Whoops. Uh, but the same guy wrote that and then he wrote like some Bond songs and then I'm like, and then the Bond songs he wrote uh, were for Shirley Bassey who ended up getting like sampled by like Kanye and Rihanna. Huh. And it's just kind of fun to see like in pop culture like where these songs end up. You know, obviously Jay-Z sampled The Hard Knock Life and that became a huge hit for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny to think of uh, Charles Strauss, you know, collaborating with uh, Jay-Z. I mean, collaboration, I don't know how much of that went into that, but he got credit for that. And that was like Grammy winning, Grammy nominated. So. Yeah, I think it's like Jay-Z's like first step into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, like everyone knew that song, even <laughs> if you didn't listen to hip hop back in 95. Yeah. Um, he's also Jay-Z is also a producer on the 2014 version of Annie so I kind of feel like it kind of came full circle yeah like I don't think that's an accident at all that Jay-Z is a producer of Annie no I think it's changing with the times it's this kind of beloved story that everyone sort of knows and has a connection to so it makes sense that it would be updated throughout the years and um, the musical elements of it as well would follow suit and the guy who got got his big big breakthrough sampling it is now producing it yeah exactly i i did really like the 1999 one i more than i expected to honestly i because (laughs) i don't know if it's just my age or like the people that I went to school with, but there seems to like, it's come up in conversation more than once that you were either an, an Annie 1982 
fan or an Annie 1999 fan. And it was like very divisive, which I guess that tells you about, you know, the kind of people that I hung out with in school, but it was very divisive. So I was like, you know, firmly in the 82 camp. But no, the 99 one is, is fun. And like I said before, it's a little bit more of a faithful adaptation. So let's, let me just see. The songs that were written for the 1982 one were Dumb Dog, uh, Sandy, Let's Go to the Movies, We Got Annie, and Sign. Um, none of those are in the 1999 version. And then some of the songs that they cut um, out of out of the 82 version um, find themselves back in the 99. So uh, like NYC and uh, Something Was Missing. Those are So I, I like that they have different soundtracks, honestly. And uh, you kind of get the best of both worlds if you combine them. And I mean, it also has a fantastic cast. Kathy Bates plays Miss Hannigan. Uh, Victor Victor Garber's Daddy Warbucks, love that. Alan Cumming is Rooster, and Kristen Chenoweth is Lily St. Regis. Like that's also a pretty stacked cast. But I gotta, you know, I gotta stick up for my 1982 Annie. Yeah, this is like at the beginning of Kristen Chenoweth's career. Yeah, I would imagine like in terms of movies and stuff. I know she would have been working in the theater before that, but um, mainstream fame probably. Yeah. So I saw her on a taping of. Late night with Jimmy Fallon when I was in New York back mm-hmm. in the day, and uh, she is she is quite a character. She, she's amazing. I love her. She seems like such a sweet person. Yeah, like even between the breaks, like you know, she just seems to be very chummy with everyone. They got her to do some like operatic version of singing "Balls in My Mouth" or something <laughs> like that. No, like, that that seems pretty on par with uh, Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing, and her she's got. A voice like no other. And so oh, and Audrey McDonald is also in that, which is another big Broadway. I always love when, you know, Broadway people are in movies. So I, you know, I can't fault it for that. <laughs> are you a big fan of the Lin-Manuel Miranda? If, if I say no, will I be like <laughs> booed by everyone? No, I, I like his musical. I like Hamilton well enough. And I like In the Heights. I'm excited for the movie In the Heights coming out later this year. Um, but they're not my... They're not my favorite, but I have like mad respect for him, obviously. I mean, this podcast, I wouldn't say is musical friendly. <laughs> it's not like a safe space for you because yeah. uh, I don't think um, myself or my sometimes co-host Nicole or Brandis are huge on musicals. So we mm-hmm. like to pretend that Brandis is to make her mad. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of like the older stuff, you know, sure. so like, so like Annie, you know, obviously is like comfort food to me as well. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, I, I know they're not for everyone, but um, they're also like, I feel like sometimes the problem is they're just, there's bad adaptations. So, and I feel like that's happening more and more frequently with some of the more recent Hollywood adaptations of musicals that they kind of give musicals a bad name. <laughs> and uh you kind of we talk about this a lot in our podcast where it's like sometimes a musical or movie has to commit to whether it wants to really embrace the kind of escapism of a musical and just like yeah people are breaking into song and like that's just how it goes and embrace that and really commit or you kind of root it more in in realism and i feel like that's when things sort of start to break down and i do feel like annie does a good job at kind of just embracing the joy of musical theater and the joy of just we're here to have a good time and it's not too focused on being real or like I'm I'm thinking of Les Mis specifically (laughs) when I say that but a lot of musicals that kind of get those adaptations where it's like 
well, have fun with it at least. Like it is a musical at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, I I kind of hate what they call a jukebox musical. Yeah. Those are my least favorite. And I feel like Hollywood is very pro jukebox musical since Moulin Rouge. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's easy to get butts in seats for those. Right. It's the same on Broadway. It's why there's so many jukebox musicals even coming out on Broadway is it's an instant audience. Um, there are some good ones, but yeah, <laughs> they're definitely my least favorite as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one that I like. I think Moulin Rouge is probably the closest. And we spent two episodes making fun of that movie. <laughs> I haven't watched that movie in years. I'm excited to uh, make Jen watch that. She hates musicals, so it'll be interesting. Oh, yeah. That's, that'll be a fun one. Because I feel like that movie is already pretty divisive, whether yeah. you like musicals or not. Um, that's uh, another one where I listened to the soundtrack a lot as a kid. And so, like, love the soundtrack maybe more than I love the movie but yeah i could see that it is it's a good it's a good mix of music i mean boz lurman is very mm-hmm. good at that um it's just whether you, <laughs> it's whether you like him as a director or not <laughs> yeah exactly uh so it's interesting that you're talking about you know kind of the realism in in musicals and you know, how they integrate music. So what is a movie like Purple Rain, do you consider that a musical? You know what? I haven't actually seen it. Oh. I'm so you sorry. See... No, no, no. It's okay. You, sh... <laughs> you you should see it. I think I it know. would be fun for you guys to do for the podcast. Not, yeah. not that you guys need outside <laughs> no, it's... suggestions, but. No, it, we do always. Like I was saying, like there's not very, always very many good uh, movie musicals. So, and I have a big big blind spots especially when it comes to some of the older like mgm musicals so always looking for suggestions and um broadening my own um horizons with that because you know i can't come in here saying i love movie musicals and then haven't seen all kinds of classics so i'm work it's a work in progress well that's you know it's it's the reason you have a podcast so you can kind of (laughs) have that excuse to go and force your friends to watch these movies yeah exactly but yeah i think like any, everything really kind of we recently talked about the movie once where it's like i wasn't sure if this really constitutes a musical because it's just kind of music is a part of it and it's about musicians living their life and like is this consi- like the music is very organic and not um not like musical theater type music so and you know they don't it doesn't serve the plot in any real way so I, I was curious as to like whether people would consider that a musical i don't know if that's sort of what you're getting at but yeah i think at the end of the day they are they are musicals if music is an important element of the story and of the movie itself then yeah it's totally a musical yeah i believe once is a musical yeah i think my sister said it's a musical for people who don't like musicals yes i have seen that floating around i think that that i think that's fair I feel bad when we were talking about the stacked cast that it doesn't seem like Eileen Quinn has done a whole lot outside of this movie. Yeah, that's true. Um, pulling up and, her IMDb. <laughs> and perhaps that may, maybe part of it was choice. Maybe she didn't want to get sucked into the Hollywood machine or maybe her parents didn't want her to. But. <laughs> yeah, kind of looks like she, I, if I'm not mistaken, she was in the uh, Broadway production as an orphan at one point. I could be mistaken on that. Um, it kind of looks like she did a little couple of things as a kid and then just sort of grew up and didn't really stick with it. 
didn't really stick with show business. She's done a couple things in the last few years, but I thought she was great in this, though, honestly. I know child actors can be hit or miss and can be a bit overwhelming, (laughs) but I thought she struck a good balance, honestly. Yeah, I think it's ironic that she, I believe, was an understudy for the orphans, but specifically not Annie on Broadway. And then she got casted as Annie in the Hollywood version of Annie. Yeah, beating out thousands of girls. Like, again, like this was a massive phenomenon at this time. Like, so many people auditioned. So when I was in, I believe it was fourth grade, Mm -hmm. we were in health class, which I guess is kind of pre-sex ed because I'm only in fourth grade. (laughs) And Eileen Quinn was in one of the educational videos as an adult. Oh, interesting. And she was like, hey, I'm Eileen Quinn. You might remember me as little orphan Annie from Annie, but now I'm a woman. (laughs) And how did this happen? Puberty. Okay. And even at like age eight, I was like, this is super uncomfortable. Yeah, that's an odd choice. (laughs) And I think there was like some you know, second or third run of Annie on Broadway. So, like, I think at the end of it, she was, like, with a bunch of, like, other Annies and Annie understudies that were still kids and was like, soon these other Annies will grow up to be adults like me. And it was like, I don't know what you're doing to my brain. This is weird. It's horrifying. That's not a crossover we needed. Yeah, I was like, this is not okay. (laughs) But it's like, but I didn't even think about that until... You know, I started researching the story and I was like, or researching, you know, talking about this version of Annie. And I was like, oh, I wonder if Eileen Quinn did anything since then. And even <laughs> though it doesn't pop up on Wikipedia, I was like, oh, now I'm remembering this educational video from fourth grade. Just unlocked some memories you didn't know were there. Yeah, it was kind of terrifying. <laughs> but I mean, I'm glad that, you know, she went her own way. Like, not everyone is cut out for. The Hollywood machine. Yeah, exactly. I hope being nominated for a Razzie wasn't (laughs) what did it. Yeah, I hope it didn't destroy her confidence (laughs) at the age of eight or whatever. I mean, I thought overall all all the orphans in this movie are kind of incredible when it comes to, like, again, what is the saying? Like, never work with, like, kids and animals, and this movie's got both of them in abundance. And But I feel like they were really talented and i mean like kids singing it's mostly just screaming fair enough but like the gymnasts like there's a lot of acrobatics in here like i i am impressed (laughs) with all these kids and you know i feel like some of the songs like hard knock life and maybe like they sound good and you don't always get that yeah and she even had to perform this stuff on like the tonight show with johnny carson Mm. She's credited with being on the show and performing Sandy, maybe, I Don't Need Anything for oh, wow. You and Tomorrow. I mean, I haven't heard her sing live, so I guess that might be a different story. But, I mean, I like to think that she did very well. Yeah, and they don't do that anymore. They don't send kids on these late night shows to sing five songs. No. <laughs> Full set. That's crazy. Well, it might have been a medley, but that's right. still a lot to do in front of a studio audience. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if the if the cast recording was not good, then Jay-Z wouldn't have been able to sample it. That is true. <laughs> it's amazing seeing, like, children on Broadway and how 
how much uh, discipline they must have. I was watching a little documentary on this called Lights, Camera, Annie, I think. I don't know if it was on TV before the movie came out or what, but um, they were interviewing a lot of the kids. And, you know, they've all been, but when this movie came out, they'd all been working for many years. And, you know, they had really (laughs) just been like professional actors for a very long time. I'm sure some of them were on Broadway as well and had been with Annie in multiple uh, incarnations of it. So as far as... Charles Strauss, he ended up making a couple other versions of Annie throughout the years. Are you yeah. aware of Annie 2, Miss Hannigan's Revenge? Um, I'm not familiar with that one. I know that it didn't do well. I am familiar with Annie Warbucks, which I think was like they reworked it and kind of came up with that. It was like off-Broadway. But I'd love to hear, if you know anything about Annie 2, I'd love to hear about Miss Hannigan's Revenge. Unfortunately, there's no link on Wikipedia to Annie 2. It's just listed in his uh, Wikipedia date um, filmography. But it sounds awful. (laughs) I mean, the fact that it's called Annie 2 is already bad. Yeah, it's very rare for a musical to get a sequel. And then the fact that it's Miss Hannigan's Revenge. Yeah. Yeah, that can't have been good. Um I did do Annie Warbucks as like in a community theater um, organization, play percussion again for it. And it, I think the storyline of that one is like, or Daddy Warbucks has you know, X amount of days to get married or Annie has to go back to the orphanage because that's how adoption works, I guess, in this world. Um, and so it's like a, I don't, I don't even remember the intricacies of it, but it's, it's, it's pretty wild. <laughs> Not nearly as good. Not nearly as catchy of songs. Shockingly. That sounds more like immigration to me. But Yeah, right? That is a very strange premise for a Broadway show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an off-Broadway show, Off-Broadway. I guess. <laughs> yep. It's still being performed today, like, not, you know, by, like, regional groups and schools and stuff. It's still around, but... Somehow doesn't have the same acclaim as the original. Uh, have you seen the Disney Plus show Encore? Yes. Yes. Love it. The, that pilot episode is a... Uh, I think it's a group in San Diego that's doing a production of Annie. That's right. Yeah, it's been a long time since I watched that. I should rewatch that. And it is very strange to see a full-grown adult <laughs> being Little Orphan Annie. Yep. I think we just kind of watched that show kind of because at the beginning of Disney Plus, there wasn't a whole lot of original programming. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, ah, we'll give it a shot. And I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting because it's, uh, it's a reality show that, I mean, I guess it's like all reality shows where you kind of need to like come up with storylines that you can find throughout it but you know it, it's very uh it's very like wholesome and yeah. uplifting yeah i mean i get a little like sappy about that kind of stuff where it's like you know whether it's music or or drama or whatever it is like when the arts have that much of an effect on on you even if you don't go into the field you know it just kind of goes to show the importance of of theater of music of of drama of whatever it is um I don't know. So that that was kind of my takeaway from that show, seeing all these adults who 
not there were a couple that had pursued um their art but you know most of them were just working average jobs and to see them all come back and perform this musical that they performed in high school and like the impact that it had on them like that was really touching to me I'm a bit of a sap like that through through all my cynicism and hating on musicals I was like actually this is pretty entertaining (laughs) though I don't think we like um I don't think we like it when it's like a newer cast like oh we we graduated high school five years ago I think we all find those episodes to be a little on the boring side yeah for sure though um so I'm in um, the LA area and they did an episode on a high school that's like down the street from where we live oh cool so we were like super curious not I, I didn't grow up here but mm-hmm. you know it's just like oh I know where that high school is <laughs> we watched that episode I was like oh maybe we maybe uh we don't want our kids going to this high school because it doesn't <laughs> seem like anyone's doing anything from this from this cast of people oh man not to be mean but you know <laughs> Yeah, no, but that's a, that's a fun show. I hope there's another season. I hope so. Yeah, I haven't heard anything. I want to know how they find these high schools, and you know, they always show like a clip of the musical from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, how they do casting calls for it. Yeah, it would take a lot of uh, coordination and planning to get that right. Like whole... You just have a bunch of bored theater teachers who are like, I'll just send in this tape and see what happens. Yeah. And then to get you know, most of the cast back and yeah, it's unique. It's a very, like, it's a different, different kind of reality show. It's fun to watch. Yeah. It's always weird because there's like, oh, four people who were like, had speaking parts. And then there's like, oh, here's one person that was just in the chorus. Yeah. Tree number two in a starring role. And it's like, how'd they find that person? <laughs> Let's talk some Carol Burnett and Tim Curry. I'd love to. <laughs> so um, I believe you're a little bit younger than me. So how how did you stumble across Carol Burnett? She's probably like old timey even for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, um, I, I don't know. I think I just, well, this movie obviously was, put my first introduction to her um and then i don't know when i started watching the carol burnett show i must have watched it a couple times with my parents if it was like on tv in passing um but i think it's kind of just something that i came to more as an adult and maybe actually through bernadette peters actually because we really loved her a lot um and then as i was kind of going through her filmography she was on a lot of episodes of the carol burnett show so i kind of tracked those down and then just kind of came from there um, but yeah, I, I just think Carol Burnett is a joy. I've seen her as well. Uh, she was in, came to Toronto a couple years ago and did a, uh, live show, a question and answer period. It was great. I have her book. I, she's such a joy. Every choice she makes in this movie is iconic. It is perfect. I love it. No, oh, she is absolutely amazing in this film. I'm glad that she didn't get nominated for any Razzies because that yeah. would be a crime. I think she got nominated for a Golden Globe, didn't she? So that's something. I may have made that up. I'm sorry. I thought I read that. <laughs> I will I will double check. I've been reading a lot of trivia lately. It's possible I have. Well, if not, she should have gotten one. Right? I agree. Give her all the awards. Now, where has Tim Curry gone? I feel like he was everywhere, and then he just disappeared one day. Yeah. 
I know he's, I don't think he's doing too well these days. I think he recently had a stroke, if that's not mistaken. Oh, no. But I know he's another national treasure. I have heard that you can tell a lot of about a person by what they know Tim Curry from. And so I feel like I, it's like for me, it's Annie and Rocky Horror. So I feel like that sums me up pretty well. <laughs> I would say Muppets. Yeah. I think that's the big one for me. What else was he in? Yeah, Muppets Treasure Island is probably the biggest one for me with mm-hmm. Tim Curry. Oh, he was on Dinosaurs? I had no idea. <laughs> I feel like he's at the point in his career or like has been for the last 20 years or so where he just kind of does what whatever he wants. Whatever's going to make him happy, he just does. So he pops up in the most random places. Oh, yeah. He was in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so probably the biggest thing for me was the Muppets and then being the concierge in Home Alone 2. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he just seemed to be everywhere in like the eighties to early nineties. Yeah. No, he's he's great. And he's I love his depiction of Rooster in this movie. He he said that he um was inspired because Rooster's very like squirmy, like he, he squirms a lot <laughs> physically. And so he said he was inspired by this he was doing a play in london i think and there was a stagehand who just kind of had those mannerisms and so he just started doing that for john houston and he was like yes exactly do that so that's kind of where that came from and oh he's just so smarmy i love it right that's kind of his signature thing right just kind of even as a concierge at a hotel in new york (laughs) so speaking of rocky horror so have you ever seen the soundtrack performed or have you only gone to screenings um, I've, I actually, I, I went to one screening when I was in university, but I just mostly seen the movie a lot. That's more my, like on DVD, unfortunately I haven't had, that was my plan for last year was to, was to, uh, get out to see some Rocky Horror, but you know, <laughs> the world had other ideas, but hopefully once things open up again, I can finally tick that officially off my list. Oh, that's very cool. I heard those screenings are pretty nuts. Yeah, I had a teacher once who said that he saw it, I forget how many times he said, like 12 and a half times. And we're all like, what was the, what happened with the half? And he was like, oh, uh, because there's a part where they say a toast and then everyone in the audience throws bread at the screen. And he said, uh, when they said a toast, someone threw a toaster and it ripped the screen. Someone was a little too into it. Yeah, a little too eager. That's hilarious, though. I thought it was going to be like some sort of fire thing, right. not an actual toaster going through the movie screen. Yeah, no, a toaster. <laughs> That's actually much better. <laughs> it's a good story. Much, much more interesting. <laughs> so uh, one kind of running joke we have through um, our podcast is we just assume that cabaret is what is what we see in the season of Schitt's Creek where they <laughs> try to stage cabaret. Yep, and yep. I, and I know that you guys recently did an episode on cabaret. Yeah, we did. So um, between Schitt's Creek and the actual movie, uh, how, I guess, how inaccurate is Schitt's Creek? Uh, not that inaccurate, actually. It's, I mean, the movie cabaret is very, very different from the stage production of cabaret like a lot of the songs are the same but there's it's quite different uh so i feel like schitt's creek actually did like a pretty good job of depicting 
the play, the musical. Um, and then um, I, my friend Jackie, uh, our co-host, was uh, very surprised, actually. She was like, because Schitt's Creek was her only frame of reference. So uh, she thought Patrick being the MC was a little over the top. And then she saw Joel Grey as the MC, And she was like, oh, no, he was he was spot on. <laughs> and how was Stevie's Liza Minnelli? She's great. She was great. I think Schitt's Creek. I mean, Schitt's Creek is like amazing. Regardless, I think they did a great job with uh, with their cabaret episode. Oh, I agree. That's why we're like, I think, I think Schitt's Creek is all I need to know about cabaret. <laughs> and so we used to make this joke, like every episode with Brandis. I'd be like, oh, so how does this movie uh, compare to Cabaret? <laughs> and and then at one point she was like, oh, you know, Cabaret is like about like the Holocaust and stuff. And I was like, oh, really? Like now I feel <laughs> terrible that it's been this running joke. That's funny. Yeah, it's a pretty dark. It's a pretty dark uh, musical <laughs> and movie. But like I knew it was probably a little dark, but I didn't think it was to that point. Yeah, it's um, set in Berlin just as the Nazis are gaining power so you kind of see the transition uh the last days of the weimar republic you kind of see the transition like the audience uh slowly slowly becoming more and more full of nazis and things like that and there's some there's some uh depictions of general violence and stuff it can be a little rough but i mean but at the same point the whole the whole premise of it or one of the premises of it is uh that the cabaret is an escape and uh you know it's the whole thing is like outside it's um what are the lines i can't remember but anyway it's basically like you leave your troubles outside and the cabaret is like an escape life is a cabaret all that fun stuff so i mean it makes sense it is light there is a light goofy element to it it's very self-aware but darker than sound of music <laughs> um yeah yeah because <laughs> sound of music's like we got nazis but this movie's not really too much yeah. about the nazis but let's not, you know, address them a whole lot. I, it's been a long time since I've watched The Sound of Music, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit uh, watered down, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I remember uh, when I was a kid, I used to be obsessed with the sets of this movie. I wanted to play in it. Like, I thought the orphanage looked so fun. <laughs> like, they're all climbing all over the walls. There's all these little, like, landings for them to hang out on and, like, crawling through windows. And there's, like, the part where the orphans get locked in the storage closet and they escape through a hatch in the ceiling and they, like, push over a bookshelf to use as a ladder. And I thought that was just so cool. Like, I, as a kid, I was totally, I thought this movie looked awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and obviously most homes are... Well, not not that you've hung out in an orphanage. I would, <laughs> I would hope not, but you know, places. You know, they 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 have to build these sets to have these things. You can't find that in a regular house. Right. So obviously, it looks awesome. Yep. You know, like all those movies with you know the library bookcase where if you push it, <laughs> push it, you know, it spins around and puts you in a different room. Like, yeah, all that stuff looked amazing when we were kids. And I think that's part of it too. Is that at the end of the day, it's it's a kid's movie. <laughs> and so I feel like it's very, I mean, for me as a kid, it, like, it's funny because I definitely would have been in the age demographic to have loved the 1999 version. Like I was born in 91. So I feel like I was right in the demographic for that Disney version. Um, but nope, this one's the one that stole my heart. <laughs> and it, So like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a kid's movie, but uh, they took out, they sanitized a lot of the sort of political commentary that was in the show. Um and I mean, I didn't know any of that was there until I was an adult, you know, so. Yeah. 
Have you seen the uh, musical version of American in Paris? No, no. So are you familiar with the Gene Kelly movie version? A little bit. I saw it a very, very long time ago. No need to rewatch it. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But we went to go see the musical version. Mm -hmm. And that... The, the musical version is like a hundred times more like political and traumatic. Yeah. I was very uh, surprised because the, the, the movie version is very like light and fluffy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that happens a lot with things getting, I, I think like stage shows. Well, I mean, American in Paris, sorry, I just had like three thoughts all at once. Um, Cause that was the first stage production of an American in Paris, right? It would never actually been mounted on the stage if I'm, remembering that correctly so it's interesting that um that there was so much left out of of the movie i guess um but i think like broadway can handle darker subject matter um in ways that movies can't like not in a better or worse way just it's they're always handled handled differently and especially with older films especially adaptations like i can see things getting definitely getting sanitized to fit a hollywood audience they don't want to hear about politics in a children's movie right. like Annie. Exactly. Yeah, there was a whole uh, thing about um, Hoover, like Herbert Hoover. And uh, there was a song called Hooverville about all the people you know living in the streets. And um, yeah, not doesn't doesn't appear in this version. I don't even know where that would fit. <laughs> Yeah, it's towards the beginning in the stage version, and there's a little bit of it in the 1999 version. Like you, you see a little bit of the kind of scene setting. I can't remember if the song is in it, but there's a little bit of that depiction. But, um, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't think it would have fit with this one, especially since they, the changes that they did make, it's not really about <laughs> the outside world a whole lot. Thank you so much, Austin, for coming on and dealing with my technical difficulties oh no problem thanks so much for having me it was it was a lot of fun i'm always happy to talk about annie we actually recorded an episode on it before we released our first episode and like the audio quality was really bad and we hadn't figured out our flow at all so we never released it so i feel like i wasted a great movie on <laughs> on uh you know not ha- not having our our shit together <laughs> pardon my language so it was uh, great to come in and talk about it it's one of my favorites I'm glad you got to talk about it here. If you have any other musicals that you'd love to talk about, please let me know. Sure. (laughs) Uh, So how often does I Hate Your Taste in Movies come out? Yeah, uh, we release new episodes every week, every Tuesday. And like you said it before, you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. So check out I Hate Your Taste in Movies. It's a really fun podcast. I love hearing Austin and her friends chatting about movies. Thanks. So check that out. And uh, thanks again, Austin. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, soundtrackyourlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.